0: Summerslam, brought to you by ICAPRO. ICAPRO, for everybody that cares about their body.
1: I think Mr. Perpet's going to be in yeah, Ultimate Warrior's one, Corner today. Two, three, two, three, no two, three, no two, three,
0: way, he's going to be on the side of the Matchman, Randy Savage. a <laughs> king. <Cute. laughs>
2: the ring
3: Welcome to the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm Intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are, into August, it's SummerSlam time, the weather is hot, the wrestling... Not so hot, but that's fine. Especially not for the Usos. They've actually they've been fine. Turns out, no problems after getting a DUI. Not taken off TV. Not disciplined. Just uh, business as usual. I mean, they were featured the very next week after that. Uh, that's true. After Jimmy got arrested, Ex- he was there. Except they were pulled for this weekend. Well, there were no tag team matches on the card at all. So it wasn't just the Usos taking the hit as far as tag team matches go. There are no tag team matches on SummerSlam 2019. Outside of Jimmy Uso getting another DUI, what do you have from the news desk this week, sir?
4: Well, Jimmy Uso getting a DUI is considered a felony in the United States, and anyone with a felony, I did not know this as I did some digging, anyone with a felony is not allowed in Canada. I think it's more than just
3: a single felony rap. I mean, Jim Cornette also can't go to Canada. He's had a lot of run-ins with the law as well. So there are several wrestling-related people who can't cross the border. So uh, if Jimmy Uso can't, it's not a big deal because it doesn't seem like the WWE goes there very often uh, anymore. It'll probably get cleared up and he'll be back uh, in Canada uh, doing his wrestling thing and hopefully not driving. (laughs)
4: hopefully um right out of the gate something that's really cool is wwe studio 2 which is one of the main studios that wwe shoots all of their movies from and everything wwe studio 2 was just renamed in memory of the late mean gene okerlund
3: that's a really nice honor except with the quality of films that the WWE produces out of WWE studios. I'm not sure I'd want my name on it, even as a tribute because I've watched the chaperone. I've watched knucklehead. I've seen some of the movies they've made. Not sure. I want my name on it, but very nice to keep Mean jeans memory alive is that was the first big loss of 2019 and yeah. uh, a good way to honor a very charismatic broadcaster who cannot
4: be replaced. I agree. There's a brand-new wrestling school just two hours up the road from us. It is Jacobs and Pritchard's Wrestling School. That is Glenn Jacobs, mayor of Knox County, a.k.a. Kane. And Dr. Tom. And Dr. Tom Pritchard. Yeah, Dr. Tom Pritchard lives
3: in the Knoxville area, and Glenn Jacobs is the mayor of Knox County, so it makes sense that they would decide to go into business together. I don't know how often you're going to get one-on-one training with Glenn Jacobs, as he's got some other stuff to do, you can never have enough wrestling schools. You can never have enough different opinions on how to do your job in the wrestling business, and Glenn Jacobs, for all the shit that I give him on this podcast, for his wrestling style and stuff, has had one of the most successful careers as far as longevity in the history of the WWF. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's really about keeping your job and staying on tv and getting a paycheck and glenn jacobs kane has excelled at that amazingly he's
4: coming back for three appearances this year alone already set in stone
3: i'm sure he's probably gonna do some of those saudi arabia cards yes glenn jacobs always always available to take a paycheck and take a bump on his knee as long as he doesn't teach everyone to take every bump on their knee this should be a good wrestling school well
4: he's In between actually running Knox County, he says he will be coming and going and working with the students. But your main lead, which I think is brilliant, is Dr. Tom Pritchard, the same man, let's be honest, the same man who taught The Rock. So you're getting trained by the same trainer that trained The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. So you can't really go wrong there. That is something, and anyone around here knows Tom Pritchard is great. And um, and you've got a natural connection to the company because Bruce, being employed by
3: the company, yes. his brother, you have at least somebody that can get in touch with somebody in the WWE to get you a look at.
4: Yeah, to get especially you... even Kane. If Kane thinks you stand out, he might be like, hey.
3: Right, yeah. I mean, there are a ton of wrestling schools run by ex-wrestlers. It's not really, though, about how you do in school, and and a lot of people don't go straight from school into the developmental system or into WWE. It's really what you do outside it once you get out of wrestling school and the dedication to being on the road and the dedication, the hard work, and all of that that goes along with it that eventually gets you into the company. So no matter which wrestling school you choose, whether it's the Dudley's wrestling school or you go to Tom Pritchard and Kane or you go to heartland or wherever you want to go to learn you have to prove it out on the indies before you get you get a call you nothing is given to you unless you have you know uh, a last name that's pretty famous or something like that you're going to have to work to get to get the call
4: yeah and what's cool about this wrestling school from what i understand is they're going to actually do weekly clips and actual YouTube videos. So, for those at home who may want to learn, can learn without on a safer way, can learn a little bit more and try to decide whether they're actually wanting to follow through with this or not. You also get a weekly short, I'm assuming 15, 20 minutes podcast with Glenn Jacobs and Dr. Tom Pritchard giving pointers for upcoming stars. And that is every week. So this school is going to add more than what normal schools have done, which is really cool. It's very innovative. I want to go up there and check it out. Um, I've already talked with Dr. Tom. We're pretty cool. I got his phone number, and uh, I just said, "Hey, you know, can I come up and just see the see the layout of it?" And he's he said, "Come on." So whenever I get free time, I intend to drive up there and check it out and see what. See what the whole thing, the whole setup is and come back and give y'all a rundown on it. But it looks really great from the pictures that I've seen. Yeah, and maybe one
3: day they can get accredited like the Impact Wrestling School and you can get a degree for going up there and becoming a wrestler.
4: That would be great. Another wrestling school, though, Lance Storm. This, uh, This last class that he will be training will be his final and he will be shutting down his wrestling school for good. Well, he's already had
3: a few stars uh, appear in NXT and make it to the main roster. He's a very accomplished trainer and, I mean, a very great technical wrestler, but he's a guy that made uh, his money, and he doesn't have to work. I mean, he can always reopen it when he wants to, and he can just do whatever he wants to. I mean, it's great that... He's, able, he's financially secure enough to be able to close his wrestling school, but uh, hopefully wherever he goes, he he's a guy that's very much in tune to also to pro wrestling in general, what's going on in the WWE, what's going on in other companies. He's tweeting about it all the time. He's a guy that stays up to date on the current styles and the trends and who's popular and what's working and what's not. And so I hope that... In closing the school, that means that he's actually moving on to do something even better and, and and possibly maybe working with an AEW or a company in a backstage role to where he's he's hands on because he's a he's a very he has a very good mind for the business.
4: I this is speculation, but I think that the reason is because he is going to go to AEW strictly because of the fact they were impressed, really impressed with what Brian Pillman Jr. did at the last pay per view. And they noticed that, oh, well, I was trained by Lance Storm. And of course, Lance Storm is good friends with Dean Malenko. And so I definitely see him stepping into a training role with their banner, per se.
3: Yeah. And he's also good friends with Chris Jericho, his original tag team partner true. and training buddy. So. It would be a natural fit if he wanted to join AEW. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But a lot of good wrestlers have come from the training of Lance Storm. So hopefully he'll take his talents and continue to teach future generations of pro wrestlers.
4: Impact Wrestler Rebel. Do you know her? Have you heard of her? Not many have.
3: No, I I vaguely know who she is. I, I know that she is... Fairly popular on their roster. I mean, she's not Tessa Blanchard,
4: but she is a very popular wrestler on their roster. She is no longer on their roster because she was hired to work for AEW. But the catch is she's hired to do hair and makeup in the back.
3: Well, I imagine maybe she'll have a split role. She'll maybe have to do that and uh, go out and wrestle. Uh, Even at companies I work for, you have two different jobs you might be on the air as a talent at one of my jobs and still be the IT guy in your other role at the job so yeah if she has a good mind for hair and makeup and they and she's also a good wrestler it's it's just a two-for-one deal so yeah I imagine that's uh, probably what they're thinking with uh Rebel.
4: Jerry King Lawler since he has quit his podcast has opened up a YouTube channel just type in Jerry the King Lawler, it'll be the first one that pops up. But what's really cool is he has broke into his old archives. And he's gotten in touch with Jerry Jarrett and some of the others. And it has full episodes of Mid-South Memphis Wrestling.
3: Yeah, the USWA CWA library is one that's been kind of broken up and disputed over ownership and where it can broadcast. And that's why not a lot of that's on the network. And it's good to see Jerry finally get clearance to put some of it online. And uh, some clips of it uh, have already been on YouTube. I mean, of just fans that have tapes and stuff like that. But it's good that that Jerry's making that move. Jerry also this week uh, in the news, he did file a lawsuit uh, in the death of Brian Lawler. He did. Against the sheriff. And so...
4: We speculated that that was going to happen.
3: Yeah, and so he did follow through with that. So we'll have to see how that develops. But... Uh, good to see Jerry uh, bringing out the tapes. I mean, a lot of this stuff—if if you don't get it out there, if you don't get it digitized, if you don't get it in the right hands, it's it just—it's—it's it's just lost forever, and that—and that's a real shame. And so I'm glad that Jerry's doing that, and that also he, you know, didn't just sell out to the WWE network. You know, I would make that be your last ditch move, is when. You need to sell out and and sell your tapes. That's why Bret Hart has held on so closely to his matches from Stampede Wrestling and uh, really just wants to hold on to those until he absolutely has to part with them and and then puts them in the hands of the WWE, which does a great job of keeping archives. But if you don't do that, like like we just said, it just gets lost forever. And and that's a real shame because there's always some hidden gems to be discovered.
4: Yes. Exactly. And I think it's uh it's great because Jerry Jarrett has an app out there for smart TVs that you can watch his collection of Memphis Wrestling and of of Mid South. And so it's awesome that you can kinda go with between the two. But I even heard that now Jimmy Hart's taking his stuff and adding to it. So it's growing to where we might actually find a full or three-fourths full of, uh, of Mid-South, which would be awesome because I love Memphis wrestling, and uh, I think everyone here knows that. And so I'm born and bred Tennessee, and and Memphis wrestling is it for me, Memphis and Chattanooga and Smoky Mountain. So I think it's great. Uh, I just I'm looking forward to when it finally gets going. There's only two episodes up right now, but definitely check it out. Moving forward, the NWA the NWA will be coming to Atlanta, Georgia, Hotlanta, September 30th and October 1st to do TV tapings. So if they're doing TV tapings, are they going to start running a weekly TV show? I
3: imagine that they'll probably just stream these somewhere or uh, put them online to start out with because they don't have a TV deal and maybe even incorporate what they're taping into Ring of Honor's TV so that Ring of Honor doesn't have to tape as many shows, maybe just give them the matches to air. Just haven't heard any news about them getting a TV deal, and so I I wouldn't go down there and and be shooting a ton of stuff without an actual TV deal, but I can understand why they would want to get some stuff on tape because, like we've talked about several times, it's like, what is this company exactly? Is it going to be? a full-fledged wrestling company? Is it just a brand that kind of floats about all these other promotions, or what is it going to be? And so hopefully this starts to get the ball rolling and showing us the direction that this company is going to go in. I mean, now we're two years into to Billy Corgan running this thing, and while there have been some notable moments, I mean, the all-in show with, with Cody and Nick Aldis being probably the highlight of it and NWA 70, there really hasn't been a whole lot of notable movement within the NWA. And so to tape matches, at least that gets those guys some extra work. It gets the NWA brand out there. They can tweet out full match videos. They can generate buzz that way and hopefully secure a TV deal down the road.
4: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'd actually like to try to get tickets for it. Um, Maybe even go down there and see what kind of talent and what they're what they're attempting to try to do anyway. So, um, yeah, it looks, it sounds great. Let's see if we can keep it going. Jerry, the King Lawler. We're going to go back to Lawler one more time. There was an indie show. I think it was called breaking out or something like that. And Jerry, the King Lawler got in the ring with David Arquette. And what do you think happened? David Arquette got a pile driver. And so former WCW world heavyweight champion, Got a piledriver from the king there. That's good because the
3: WWE won't clear him to wrestle, so he has to find avenues. This man still wants to get in the ring, and as we've talked about with Jerry Lawler's wrestling ability, he's got a right hand
4: and he's got a piledriver,
3: and that's his two-move set.
4: He's and, 69 years old, and with the right hand and a piledriver, he could go to he's 80. Well, he's lived a very... I mean, outside of that
3: heart attack, which nearly killed him, I mean, that's a very... It's not quite a minor thing that happened, but... He doesn't drink. He's he's lived a very healthy lifestyle. The guy doesn't look as old as he is. No. And um, he's maintained a very active lifestyle. I mean, he was wrestling up until the heart attack on a you know not frequent basis in the WWE, but always wrestling in Memphis. has never given that up. And so, yeah, this guy's going to just wrestle until he drops. And, I mean, yeah, uh, more power works, to him.
4: He works the show with Burt Prentice up in Nashville at least every couple of months.
3: He works smart, and when you, he, when you work smart, you can have a really long career. I mean, you can give Santino Morella all sorts of shit for putting a, a, a snake sock on his hand or whatever, and comedy wrestlers like Colt Cabana and stuff like that, and, and they get injured too. I'm not saying that they don't, but you can have a long career if you don't do psychotic moves that are going to shorten your career and possibly your life. If you wrestle a very basic style and are able to make a living at it, more power to you. That's
4: the thing. We've discussed it time and time again. Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes could go out there and steal the show and if that happened to be that they were working hurt that night, they could steal the show with doing basically nothing. You've got to learn to be able to work that way and I think that's an art that is lost in today's wrestling business well we
3: demand so much more from wrestling matches than they did back in like Harley races era and stuff like that we just demand so much from the match itself that we have sort of lost sight of psychology and 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 crowd involvement and just doing the little things like I talked about on our last proper episode of this podcast you know the claw the claw is a move that It has no basis in reality, you know, but it gets over. It doesn't hurt anybody. And people know when that thing connects, the match is over and they know to pop and they and they know the tease of it. And so you can work that stuff in, you know, Dusty Rhodes hitting you with an elbow or whatever. That's not a vicious move, but it's it's the anticipation and the buildup. And you know that it's happening and all his juking and jiving and all the theatrics that go along with it. And that's why Jerry Lawler's had such a long career. It's not that he's an amazing technical wrestler. It's that he can he can work everything else as best as he can, and the wrestling is sort of secondary. But that's why he's been able to keep going nonstop right. and hasn't had to have neck surgery or back surgery and all this other stuff, And right. but can still get around pretty good for a man of his age and looks pretty healthy. So right,
4: yeah. So, yeah, I, and it also made me laugh because, you know, David Arquette is an actor, and so it immediately put me back to Lawler and Kaufman. It just, it's one of those things. I, gotta, I gotta got a chuckle out of it.
3: This guy's got a real problem with actors. I mean, even on that uh, Jim Carrey documentary about Man on the Moon or whatever, oh, when dude. he was ready to kill Jim Carrey. He,
4: he snapped, man, and you have full footage of that. I definitely recommend going out there and watching it. He snaps. On Jim yeah, because Jim
3: Carrey was acting like an asshole.
4: He snaps on Jim Carrey, and Carrey has to run for his life because Lawler was pissed. Yeah, and well, that was also
3: when Lawler was uh, married or dating Miss Kitty or whatever at the time too. And yeah. I think he wanted to, it was you know, two thousand. Yeah, he wasn't gonna let someone punk him out. Yeah, punk him out in front of his lady. Uh, hell no, this is uh, Jerry the King Lawler we're talking about. So. Uh, Yeah, this guy's had a long history with actors and uh, (laughs) not enjoying their work.
4: Speaking of acting, guess who's getting a show on Netflix?
3: I think I heard about this. The WWE is getting a show on Netflix, as I recall.
4: No, Big Show is getting a sitcom.
3: Right, yeah. WWE Studios is teaming up with Netflix and giving Big Show a show. A sitcom.
4: Big Show is getting a show on Netflix. I am. Uh, are you going to tune in and watch this? Absolutely not. No, really? I watched Knucklehead. It's going to be a comedy based where he is he is a dad taking care of his daughters alone, and that he's trying to be a wrestler, tough guy, but also a feminine father to help raise. He's got to be Mister Nanny, I guess. Yeah, it's like Mister Nanny all over again, and it it sounds quite hilarious
3: so. i think paul white is a wonderful personality i've always enjoyed listening to him speak and and chime in and i think he's funny in, in bits and pieces acting not his forte and uh <laughs> yeah just watch knucklehead and then tell me if you're still going to watch uh, a netflix series based upon him i mean i'd i'd watch glow a million times over before i started a uh, big show series on netflix but netflix losing a lot of content in the next couple years when Disney starts their streaming service. We've got CBS is ramping up their streaming service. NBC is starting up theirs. So Netflix looking to create new content on their own because they're not going to have just reruns of shows you already know. So this is just a shot in the dark. And I mean, if you ever scroll through Netflix, they have a million original shows that you've probably heard of five of them. And then it just goes on and on and on. And just throwing stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. So, but good for him. Uh, good for him. I hope that he's he's better in this than he was in Knucklehead.
4: <laughs> Talking about shows, Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to be starting a new show on the USA Network, where he is basically taking celebrities and showing them his way of life.
3: Yeah, I saw a clip of this on Twitter just uh, before you walked in today, and. His first celebrity guest I forgot who it was He was showing him like a tank you're, you're gonna drive like a tank today or something Seems stupid I'm not really into reality TV But this also explains why Austin was so available To come to that Raw reunion show Because usually Austin I mean he does show up to a lot of this stuff But on 8 days notice I, I didn't think that uh, he would show up To something like that uh, But since this is on USA Network He had an obligation to show up uh, for the network. So not going to watch this show. Love stone cold, Steve Austin. I'm going to watch it. Don't like him in reality show settings. Thought that he was decent on tough enough, but, uh, his podcast is pretty much the best version of stone cold, Steve Austin. When stone cold, Steve Austin is, is able to be himself and not have these. I mean, we all know reality TV is basically scripted and, 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 Very formulaic. When Steve Austin is able to do whatever he wants, he's extraordinarily entertaining. But when he has any sort of script in front of him or being told how to act or being shown what to do and he's in a hosting role, it just kind of takes away from, I think, his natural... You're actually limiting him as a performer by doing that. So anything that comes on after Raw... Because Smackdown is leaving to go to Fox But if this comes on after Raw Say in October
4: I think it starts next week
3: So this is starting next week But I'm just saying in the future Anything that comes on That's not Chrisley Knows Best Is fine with me Because there are some real shitty shows On the USA Network I like Chrisley Knows Best Terrible show I like Ms. and Mrs Terrible show as well Really? Awful Awful reality TV I hate reality TV
4: Speaking about reality, uh, some injuries to discuss. Rachel Ellering last week went through surgery for a torn ACL. So we haven't heard if it was good bad, bad, what is going on, but we do wish her luck in recovery.
3: I mean, she'll be back from an, an ACL. It's just going to be a year. When you get an ACL tear, That is, it's a year. Yeah. And you, there's a chance you might not be the same performer you were because... It's happened in football more so than pro wrestling. Usually pro wrestlers are able to come back from an ACL tear and, and pretty much do their do their thing. But uh, in other sports, sometimes you're never the same player that you were before. But as much as I like her, in the like the May Young Classic that I saw her in and the, the few clips I've seen of her, she still had a wor- lot of work to do to begin with. So it wasn't like she was red hot, on the verge of superstardom, this was somebody that was still needing some seasoning before uh, they gave her the green light to, uh, to become a real big star.
4: Kevin Nash and Ryback started getting stem cell therapy. So now stem cell therapy, I have no idea what this is. I have no idea why they're getting it. I don't know any details behind it. Yeah, so this is for people, I believe most people that do this have bad
3: knees. This is what Rey Mysterio actually had done a couple years ago, and that's why he's able to be the performer that, I mean, he looks almost as good as he did back in his prime now when towards the end of his WWE run the last time, this just wasn't the same guy. He was just slow, he was heavy, he was not moving the same way, I mean... He had he's had tons of knee injuries and apparently you can take stem cells and and regenerate, regrow uh, those cells in your knee that make it work better. I I'm really I'm not a doctor or anything. I, I haven't really researched this much, but I know that Ray Mysterio had it done, and I know that if you're saying Kevin Nash is having having it done, then I assume that it's it's something to do with your legs because well, him and
4: Ryback, I mean Ryback's the same way. Ryback had problems when he was injured, it nine times out of ten was his was his knee or his leg or something.
3: Yeah, and Kevin Nash, I mean, is infamous for having just terrible legs. So anything to help these guys get around and move better is great. Too bad they uh, don't have health insurance. Too bad they weren't employees. Too bad that they are Americans and that they have to go pay for all this out of pocket and go experimental research to have their knees taken care of. If it so. works,
4: I think we. You know, Mick Foley should look into it. I think Terry Funk should look into it. Both men can barely walk as it is.
3: Well, Mick Foley's been getting around pretty good since he's had uh, his hip replacement and his knee replacement. So um, he's been getting around better. But, yeah, I mean...
4: It's something that wrestlers should look more into if it turns out to be that it is a very good way to fix, you know, a problem that could slow you down for your career
3: but it just goes back to the overall issue of being independent contractors and having no health insurance and stuff so when you fuck up your legs and then you're out of a job then you're starting GoFundMe pages to help your medical bills and stuff like that so a lot of these guys ryback and kevin nash are in fortunate positions where i mean in kevin nash's instance he made a lot of money and ryback has this deal with the health supplement company so he's pretty well off and he also worked in the wwe at a time when people were getting paid better so both of these guys have enough money to to have this kind of stuff done it's more of those wrestlers that are in smaller companies today or wrestlers that wrestled in years past that need that need help and then they can't get it because that's just the way the system is designed so yeah. It's unfortunate, but it's a good idea. It's a, anything to help these guys get around better and live longer is, is, is a good thing.
4: There's not a lot of details in what happened here, but there was an explosion at Raymond James Stadium in the process of starting to get the stuff together for WrestleMania this coming next year. Uh, two people were injured pretty badly and took to the hospital. Uh, it, from what I've heard, it was a small explosion somewhere around the boiler room. But an explosion that very quickly got out of control. That the firemen it took them a couple of hours alone to get it in control before trying to put it out. So a bit it's small enough that it didn't mess up the entire stadium, but big enough that it did injure two two workers, and um, they had to be rushed to the hospital immediately.
3: I don't think it's necessarily in connection to the WrestleMania preparations as much as it is uh, trying to update and upgrade Raymond James Stadium. These football stadiums and the owners and the people that run them want the finest uh, stadiums available. If your stadium is 20 years old, oh my goodness, time for a new stadium. And so if you have, and at this point, Raymond James, honestly, if outside of like Soldier Field, and Lambeau Field and those historic, those two historic football venues, which have both undergone extensive renovations themselves, most teams get a new stadium every 20 years or so. and Yeah, the Georgia Dome. Yeah, the Georgia Dome was imploded after 20 years uh, to build a new one, uh, a new dome. And charge more money and everything else. And just like Turner Field, 20 years, time for a new baseball stadium. Raymond James Stadium, compared to other NFL stadiums, is getting up there in age. And honestly, and it's in a smaller market like Tampa. And so you always have the threat of them moving the team. Just like the Tampa Bay Rays right now are being threatened with being moved to Montreal. Or or split the season with Montreal unless they get a new stadium. Because... Stadium, 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 stadiums. So that's all they care about. Uh, none of the owners want to pay for them. They want the taxpayers to pay for them. And so, instead of getting new stadiums, what they do is try to pump money into the stadium to keep it going. But what ends up happening, unfortunately, and what's going to end up happening to Raymond James Stadium and Nissan Field, the the place where the Titans play, and 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 stadiums that are that are older but in smaller markets, what you're going to end up happening, you're going to keep improving them. And then you're going to have to build a new stadium anyway, or the team's going to leave. That's what happened to the St. Louis Rams. They kept pumping money into the Ed Jones Dome and just kept upgrading it, trying to keep this team around. And the taxpayers weren't going to pick up the bill. And so the owner just said, fuck it. I'm, I'm taking the team to Los Angeles. And so that's how the St. Louis Rams ended up leaving St. Louis. That's Stadiums are one of the dumbest things, I think, that, is involved in sports, and so we try to upgrade them in order to to keep those teams because they threaten the city with, oh, if you don't have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you guys are going to lose all this money and all this other stuff when really the Tampa Bay Buccaneers only play eight games there a year. I mean, that's just fact. I mean, you can add some concerts and some other stuff. Baseball, they play like 162 games a year. What's the stadium doing the rest of the year? It just sits there. So I just think that the whole upgrading of stadiums, the building of new stadiums is just something that's stupid to me. You know, the Roman Coliseum stood for many, 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 many years, and it was fine because at the end of the day, what do you need to, to play your sport? I need a field. I need a basketball court. I need an ice rink. And that's it.
4: I need a Coliseum.
3: I need a Coliseum. <laughs> I need a wrestling ring.
4: Yes. And
3: that's, that's all that really matters. And so I think it's silly that whatever was going on at Raymond James Stadium to cause an explosion probably had to do with upgrading it, and I just think that's stupid, and especially when you're risking people's lives to I agree. Um, do upkeep to a stadium. If I died upgrading a stadium, I would what a terrible way to go out. Just yeah. whatever.
4: Moving forward, Hulk Hogan. It's a, uh, a police ride that he probably wasn't expecting. Him and Jimmy Hart get a ride to a venue.
3: They were getting a ride to the airport. There was a police officer that spotted them that gave them the ride and uh, a bit of controversy because they took a video from the police ride and the police officer turned on his siren and that's a big no-no. You cannot turn on your siren when you're not headed to an emergency or whatever, but I don't think anything's going to come of this. It's not a big deal. We watched the video right before we started recording. We did. His siren was on for about thirty seconds, and it looked like they were already on the tarmac, headed to the private jet or whatever Hogan was about to get on. So, don't see a problem with this. I mean, give me a break, guys. It's
4: <laughs> big news. Big news. You know what else is big news? Tessa Blanchard is your new AAA Women's Champion.
3: She must have won her match at Triple Mania. I did not watch Triple Mania, but good for her, and that'll. At least get her some more working dates in Mexico and uh, kind of a shitty schedule, splitting time flying from Mexico to Canada and back and forth. But uh, as long as you're getting getting paid well, that's really all that matters. So, oh, I'm
4: certain. Give it a little bit more time, and she'll be flying all the way to TNT.
3: Maybe she's got a couple of years left on her deal, but uh, I do I do think she is uh, one of their top priorities. She is
4: quickly coming one of the hottest commodities on the indie scene.
3: She's not a free agent, but she's the number one as soon as her contract is up. There's going to be a bidding war for her services, and WWE was foolish not to sign her when they had the opportunity due to attitude problems or whatever they claimed.
4: Um, Listen, I've been in plenty of matches with uh, Tessa. I mean, you saw me ref a match with her. Uh, she's a great woman Ariel Teal Tombs she is now being called Teal Tombs that is the daughter of Rowdy Roddy Piper she is going to be in the AEW buy in battle royal for a chance at the women's title on the very first edition of their TNT show
3: yeah, people like Brian Pillman Jr., whose father died very early in his life, and he was a pro wrestler that continued to do it. I just, me personally, that wouldn't be some that wouldn't be an avenue that I that I took.
4: I think this is great for them to for her to be willing to take that next step into trying to keep his memory alive is very well done. Uh, I tip my hat off to her. She is already an accomplished actor. She's been in numerous movies, and so now she's wanting to see what she can do in the ring, and I can't wait.
3: Well, there's a big rumor the AEW is going to be going up against NXT on FS1, so they might have some competition that night. You might have to make a tough decision, Patrick. Oh, so. you
4: know what my decision's going to be. Moving forward, last week, Jushin Thunder Liger got to ring the bell last week to open the Tokyo Stock Exchange. And from my knowledge, this uh, I could be completely wrong from this. So any of our listeners that know, um, please inform me politely. But I do believe this is the first time that a wrestler has ever done that. In Japan, maybe. Yeah, yeah in Japan. I, mean, I know here in the U.S. We let people ring the bell here
3: every day. Uh, there is... A different company ringing the bell every day in the
4: New York Stock Exchange. Gene yeah. Simmons rang the bell here at one point in time. Everyone's
3: rang the damn bell here. So uh, good for him. I wish he had done like a salt or something to uh, like kick the bell or, or done something crazy to actually ring the bell. But uh, congrats to him on uh, yet another honor as his uh, farewell tour continues.
4: Yeah, Just a few months left in the career of Jushin Liger. Last and I'm going to keep this short and sweet. We lost one of the most kind-hearted men I have ever been the, been in the privilege of being in his presence, being able to learn from him, and being the fact of going to World League Wrestling and working for him. We lost Harley Race, and so I'm going to keep it short and sweet, and what we're going to do is next week, Being my pick, we're going to do a tribute show to the late Harley race and I will open up more fondly about my memories, about my conversations, about what this man meant to professional wrestling a lot more than what people really know. We're going to move forward past that though and we're going to go to your pick, which was two weeks ago because I was dealing with some some stuff and... I was sick and I was dealing with the loss of, of Harley and just a lot overwhelming last week and I wasn't able to make it and so you did a show by yourself. I did a retro wrestling
3: podcast extra which reviewed the go home episode of WWF Raw as we're heading into SummerSlam 97 which was Heart and Soul, oh. Bret Hart and Undertaker with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee. And if you listen to that show, not a very good show on Raw as far as wrestling matches, but they did further the storylines. They they mentioned they pretty much set up angles that, that reminded you of the card, told you what you were going to get on Sunday, and so in that way, the show was a success. But if you actually wanted to see wrestling matches, you were not going to find very good ones on that episode but of Raw. I want
4: to tune, tune in and watch it, so... We are going with the original pick that you made, and that is SummerSlam 1992 from Wembley Stadium with two main events, a probably the biggest crowd in SummerSlam history, I dare say, and, I mean, flat out the greatest SummerSlam except for 2002 to date. And I, you can make the argument it's better than that. So... I mean, you did a phenomenal pick. A absolutely phenomenal pick.
3: Yeah, so SummerSlam 1992 was the fifth SummerSlam to take place. It was the first ever WWF pay-per-view to take place outside of North America. So it actually took place on a Saturday. It took place on August 29th, 1992, but aired on tape delay on August 31st, 1992 in the United States. So back before the internet it didn't matter because you couldn't get the results you couldn't get spoilers like right. you weren't going to get spoiled uh, you didn't have to worry about it so i this is a great idea and it begs like when i see this crowd which is a larger crowd by the way than wrestlemania 3 and there are false 93,000 people uh, attendance number that even in their obituary for harley race they cited that same false 93,000 number which is it's not true. I mean, there was a massive crowd at WrestleMania 3. It can't be denied. But there was more people here at Wembley Stadium which had an actual attendance of 80,355 people. And when you get 80,000 people to come to your show, why don't you ever go back to that country and run a pay-per-view on that it's just it's it's Damn, mind-boggling to me, especially when the company is about to take a major downturn. They didn't know they were about to take such a major downturn and head into the Dark Ages, basically, because they still had Macho and Warrior, and they still had Flair, and they still had some of these big stars from the past that Vince, I assume, thought were still going to be sticking around. And then you had the, the uprising of Bret Hart, so you had stars in development. But why not ever go back, especially in those lean years? I mean I I don't think I don't know that Diesel's gonna bring eighty thousand people to Wembley Stadium. No,
4: but I believe Brett would have. I believe Sean absolutely could have.
3: Yeah, and especially today in the era of the WWE network where you can just watch it on tape delay. You can avoid spoilers. It's not such a bad thing to avoid spoilers, but the fact that they've never run another show like this again makes zero sense. When you look at it, it's just a beautiful looking show. Like just it is. a massive amount of people that were crazy for every single match. I mean, not to the same degree for every match, but they were invested and they sold a shitload of foam fingers because the foam finger count in this crowd was out of the 80,000 people, I think about 70,000 bought a foam finger.
4: Some of them might've been given the wrong foam finger.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Stone Cold Steve Austin foam finger. The middle finger. So we missed a couple of dark matches here. The Bushwhackers and Jim Duggan took on the Mounty and the Nasty Boys in a six-man. Well, damn, I'd like to have seen that. I would have, too. And as much credit as I gave the search feature on the network last week, I'm going to knock them this week because I tried to find these because I thought they aired on Superstars or on uh, like a Coliseum Home video or... Um, I'm pretty sure they aired somewhere, Yeah, and I tried to search on the network, and the network search feature is so frustrating, so I start to type in the Bushwhackers, okay? So when I start to type in Bush, it stops me, and it's like, oh, is that what you wanted to search for? And then, no, and I tried to search for Bushwhackers, no results found. So then I go to Superstars, and I click on the Bushwhackers, and I expect to see a million matches from... The fucking Kiwis right there so I can go find it. Nothing. Those superstar pages have not been filled out, so it's kind of annoying. Some of them have. More recent superstars' pages are filled out, but when you go to that alumni section and you... Well, that's the
4: thing. I went to Harley Race's alumni section, and it has strictly the two Survivor Series that he was in and WrestleMania three. That's it. It doesn't wow. it doesn't even have him managing in WCW. It doesn't have him um his uh, any of his wrestling in WCW that is strictly all they have.
3: I'll give him a break cuz they just started with the new streaming service, but that kind of shit should have been taken care of before where if I put in whatever Bushwhackers, Harley Race, I get everything. I don't care if there's 500 search results And if I want something more specific, I should be able to find it easier. Now, I did mention, like, I found, like, the Brawl for All stuff easier. So some, it seems like they are making improvements in some areas. But in this area, I couldn't find these matches. I did find the Papa Shango one, which is a dark match against Tito Santana. It was on YouTube, not from the WWE. Just someone posted it on YouTube. But I refused to fucking watch it. I was so mad with the search feature about the network. I was like, fuck Papa Shango. I'm not watching that match.
4: You know, he got a lot of fucking work out of that company.
3: He did, and still does to this day. I mean, uh, had two very successful, memorable gimmicks, two action figures. I mean, he's in the video game as two characters, and for a guy that was never, you know...
4: And he was, comma,
3: the... Fighting machine. Fighting machine as well. Charles Wright, for a guy that never made it to the upper echelon, even of the mid-card, like... He was like IC champ. He probably held the European title, might have been a tag champ, but never had memorable runs with those belts. He wasn't like an upper-tier guy in in the mid-card. He wasn't like a Mr. Perfect where you're like, oh, what a great man. Why didn't he ever get his run at
4: the top? Like, But
3: for a guy, you know, had just a kind of a middle-of-the-road career.
4: He's- he was a backbone that you could put him out there and, you know, it was going to be a solid match. It, we're not talking about a five star, but it was going to be solid. He was a solid
3: hand, and yeah, two memorable gimmicks. So if you have two, if you have, if you have a good gimmick, and he had two, you will go very, very far. And yeah. uh, that's what happened in the case of Charles Wright. So we get into the actual open of SummerSlam '92 after those dark matches we didn't get to see. We open with an ad for IcoPro, Pro Integrated Conditioning. Program So that is what IcoPro is, and it is the remnants of the WBF, the World Bodybuilding Federation, which...
5: It works, brother.
3: Yeah, it didn't go too well for old Vinnie Mac, but the one thing that did stick around after he gave up on his bodybuilding company was IcoPro, which was still...
4: Did he sell the shit in, like, stores, or... How do you even buy this shit? Because I saw the signs, but I have never seen a box or a pill bottle. Of iCopro. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how
3: you got it, but I remember an interview with Bret Hart saying that they would give the wrestlers that stuff and they all hated it. They refused to take it. They all had their own supplements and stuff and they were just like, this stuff tastes like shit. They're not going (laughs) to do it. We get some fans entering the arena with the famous quote from a young fan that British Bulldog is gonna win whether he wants to or not. This this kid is clued in to how kayfabe works. That you uh you just do what the booker tells you to do. We get royal trumpeters welcoming us to Wembley Stadium and the massive sea of eighty thousand people. Holy shit!
4: Fuck, like it is a lot of people, and this is legit eighty thousand. This is oh yeah,
3: this isn't a kayfabe number and the shots they take of the stadium and, and that's something that they don't do as well today because I mean, we went to WrestleMania 33 in Orlando. That was a 70,000 seat venue, but they didn't take any aerial shots to make you feel all those people. And then see the mass that was
4: truly there.
3: I think it's because maybe in Wembley and like in WrestleMania three, there was so much more, uh, floor seating or something. And it was so spread out and it just, it was massive. And, what I kept thinking about, though, is, like, they did have some video monitors in Wembley, but you'd be so fucking far back. Like, what's the point of even being there other than to just be there? Because they never came there, I guess, because this is, like, yeah. your once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but just a massive, massive amount of people. Vince welcomes us in. He's going to be on commentary. Oh, God. Vince, uh, tonight, with his... uh The Royal. yeah. Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yeah, Bobby Heenan sticking a crown on his head, declaring himself the King of England. He's not. Vince wonders who Mr. Perfect will side with. And he asks Bobby, since Bobby's friends with uh, the heels. Hey, Bobby, uh, who's Mr. Perfect in uh, cahoots with? Uh, I don't know. I don't know anything. Bobby just woos instead. So, no answers from... Bobby Heenan, as the big storyline in the WWF title match was Mr. Perfect is going to work with one of the guys, one of these two face wrestlers, Macho Man or Ultimate Warrior. Which gonna, one sold out. One of them is going to turn heel, hire him, and win the match. So that is what uh, is the big storyline going into the
4: WWF title match. Oh, it was pissing me and Gene Oakland off.
3: It was, was pissing
4: Lord Owl off <laughs> to, to the point
3: where he was doing some breaking and entering trying <laughs> to get was, answers. He was, he was. In America, this was promoted as the main event, but in the UK, of course, they promoted Bulldog in the main event. So uh, you get different posters depending on what side of the world you are. In fact, on the network, the image is of Warrior and Macho Man, even though nobody, I think, would say that that was the better match between the two. So, Oh, God, no. Out first, Money, Inc., Out with their manager, Jimmy Hart. Hey, they were supposed to be the tag team champions, but they dropped the belts. So this is no no longer a tag team title match that it was supposed to be as uh, Money, Inc. dropped the belts to the natural disasters. And so we get Money, Inc. with their manager, Jimmy Hart. IRS grabs the mic and claims the British burdens the royal family by not paying their taxes. I beg to differ. They pay a lot of taxes in the United Kingdom. It's just taken out of their paychecks. They don't have to actually file every year in the United Kingdom.
4: It's took out of our paychecks too here.
3: It is, but then you still have to file another it's it's just a different system.
4: We get shafted too. Everyone pretty, gets shafted get on taxes. That's hard. the point
3: of taxes. Out next, your favorite, Rocco the puppet. Oh, Rocco. Is on the Harley Davidson with Paul Ellering. Followed by Hawk and Animal, the Legion of Doom.
4: You know, we need a Rocco toy.
3: I don't think we do. We don't need a puppet, as uh, this made Hawk so mad that he quit the company over it. Really? This and a failed drug test, Hawk said, fuck it, I'm out of here. Hawk not failing for steroids, but the Rocco gimmick he hated so much that he quit and kind of fucked Animal over because... They're kind of a package deal, so (laughs) uh, Animal briefly had to team with Crush as a version of Legion of Doom that didn't ever see the light of day, really, but, uh, yeah, Animal was kind of fucked over in all of this, but, yeah, Rocco the Puppet, Uh, because, you know, the LOD needs help getting over, Patrick, and they need a puppet, and uh, what would these two guys that wear spikes and look like they came out of a post-apocalyptic hellhole have? Naturally, they would have a dummy. Yeah. I mean, that just makes sense, Vince McMahon. Okay,
4: so who whose idea was the puppets? Because I think it's Paul Ellering just to fuck with with everyone. I believe it was Vince that that, that oh, ultimately wow. gave the order. So okay, well then I understand Hulk being pissed off.
3: LOD, this is a very memorable entrance with the blue carpet tonight. Beautiful blue carpet, and they're on their bikes, and they they have gold shoulder pads on, which was awesome, and they looked badass. And as I've told the story before, unfortunately, Hawk, not in the right state of mind, parked too closely to Animal's motorcycle, so Animal had to dismount on the side with the exhaust pipe and ended up burning the shit out of his leg and melting his tights to his leg and had to wrestle this match in a load of pain because Hawk uh, didn't know
4: where to park his uh, motorbike. That's probably why Hawk did most of the work in this match. (laughs)
3: Hawk will start against Ted DiBiase. Hawk gets the crowd to chant L-O-D. Hawk, of course, is Hawk, so he no-sells Ted's offense, and Ted bails to the outside. Animal throws him back in just to have Hawk clothesline him back out. Animal then clotheslines Ted on the outside. IRS comes in to square off against the Animal. Animal traps IRS by his tie and press slams him. Hawk comes in and gets trapped in a sleeper by IRS, which gets Hawk chance in hopes of a hawk-up instead of a hulk-up. The crowd, as I mentioned before, full of foam fingers here. Hawk escapes the sleeper by backing IRS into the buckles. He misses a flying clothesline that IRS, man, this was a, a magician's move here because IRS ducks at the very last minute to miss yes. this close. He couldn't have timed this any better. Like It looked like he legit moved out of the way. It, like, it looked like it wasn't a planned spot. Like he, he couldn't have cut it any closer. So an amazing move by... Mike Rotundo, who I don't give a lot of credit to, but he he did a very good move here. DiBiase slams Animal on the outside, takes over on Hawk. Money, Inc. keep Hawk in their corner, and IRS drops his multiple elbows on Hawk for a near fall. IRS goes back to the sleeper. Money, Inc. then take turns applying the sleeper to Hawk. Hawk finally stops the beating with a clothesline, but DiBiase gets the tag, stomps Hawk before he can make the tag to Animal. He chokes Hawk with the tag rope, and they continue to work over Hawk, does Money, Inc. Hawk finally makes the tag to Animal, but Joey Morello was distracted by IRS and didn't see it. But it doesn't matter because a few seconds later, Hawk gets the tag to Animal anyway. Animal runs wild, lays out Money Inc with drop kicks and a double clothesline. Animal Atomic drops IRS, who gets flung over the ropes. They go for the Doomsday Device, but IRS breaks it up with a drop kick. So no Doomsday Device for the United Kingdom tonight. IRS gets knocked out of the ring. Animal just power slams Ted DiBiase for the win. And that is our opening match. A fine match, an LOD match, No, uh, a bunch of no-selling, a bunch of power moves, a uh, comeback, Hawk doing most of the work, Animal getting the big spot at the end, and pretty standard Legion of Doom match. But, yeah, they're super over. Like, like I say in every match of theirs, it really doesn't matter about their match quality because the crowd is going to go ape shit for these guys no matter what
4: because it's the legion of doom
3: yeah so a good match to open the show with proper even though they did some dark matches before mean gene is with rick flair flair says i should be the number one contender mean gene just wants to know about mr perfect and whose corner he'll be in flair he just smiles laughs and says nothing he says mr perfect will be in the dressing room gene says which whose dressing room And he says, the dressing room of the winner. Who else?
5: With me at this time is the former World Wrestling Federation champion, the man who was disgruntled the moment they announced the main event for SummerSlam. For it was he who felt he should be the number one contender to face the macho man, Randy Savage. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the nature boy, Ric Flair.
0: Rest assured, little man, it was not I alone that was disgruntled over the fact that the great Ric Flair was denied his opportunity to regain the World Wrestling Federation Championship right here at SummerSlam. After all, when you're talking about the bright lights and the big cities, you gotta be talking London, England. And when you're talking SummerSlam, And when you're talking the World Wrestling Federation,
5: you gotta be talking Ric Flair. Woo! Ric Flair, I couldn't help but notice you're wearing your robe and your, your wrestling attire. What's going on here? That's
0: because anyone that knows anything about Ric Flair knows that he stays ready for any kind of action.
5: And speaking of action, Ric Flair, one man we know who's going to be seeing action tonight is your executive consultant, Mr. Perfect. For its public knowledge, he's going to be in the corner of either the Macho Man, Randy Savage, or the Ultimate Warrior. As a matter of fact, I saw you and Mr. Perfect show up outside of Wembley Stadium earlier today in a long limousine, Ric Flair. You two have been embroiled in this controversy of the main event since the day it was announced. As a matter of fact, this match may end up going down in history as the most controversial match in World Wrestling Federation history. Now then, Ric Flair. I'm gonna put you on the spot. In whose corner will Mr. Perfect be tonight? (laughs) Oh, come on. Is it gonna be the macho man? (laughs) Don't do this to me. Is it gonna be the ultimate warrior? (laughs) Ric Flair, enough is enough. Like the great Winston Churchill once said, now is the time. And now is the time we demand to know the whereabouts of Mr. Perfect for SummerSlam.
0: Why, he's in the dressing room.
5: But whose dressing room?
0: The dressing room of the winner. Who else? Woo!
5: Oh, please. Woo! Sean Mooney, let's get over to you.
3: Okay. My favorite interview of the night is next with Sean Mooney with Shadow Boxing Virgil. Oh, Yeah. Virgil getting ready for his big match against Nails. He's shadow boxing and he says he's too legit to quit. He does an MC Hammer too
5: reference.
4: Legit to quit.
5: Joining me now is Virgil, who is getting set to step into the ring with unquestionably the cruelest man we have ever seen in the WWF, the ex convict Nails.
0: Nails, I seen what you did to my friend, the big boss, man. You handcuffed him behind his back and you beat him like a dog, man. Well, I survive all the toughest streets around the world, man, and the biggest street I'm going to survive is right out here at Wembley Stadium because you got to want it, man! And nails, my saying is do unto you before you ever can do unto me because I'm like all the good people here in London and all the good people around the world, man. I am definitely too legit to quit. Let the gangs begin.
4: Yeah, so... Uh, there was hand signals. Uh, do you remember the hand signals, sir? I I don't remember them specifically, but
3: I know that Virgil fucked them up because he did like a throat slash with yeah. one of them, and that yeah. is
4: not... That's not it. That's not part of it.
3: Nails gets the jobber entrance and is in the ring already.
4: So, okay, I keep <laughs> I keep wondering... Why was this man around after his...
3: Yes, this murderer or whatever he was convicted of. that yes. he, he claims he was falsely convicted, this prisoner. Right. Not only did he get out and in his jail uniform, yes. so he's obviously on the loose. Right. But he flew overseas, Patrick. He boarded an airplane yes. in his criminal outfit, yes, was allowed into the stadium, and then they, they licensed him. They gave him a wrestler's license and said, go for it. Not only that, but he also has Boss Man's nightstick, which he Uh-oh. he beat the shit out of Boss Man. This was a huge issue of WWF magazine at the time, where he beat the shit out of Boss Man and stole his baton, and uh, that was going to set up their big match down the road.
4: That but, was like an like a year long build, too.
3: Yes, that was. I mean, that's the natural conclusion. I mean, the criminal has to face the police officer. So, yes. um, what was it he did in real life, though? I don't know what Nails actually, like, his profession was in real life, but he did sue the company for sexual harassment.
4: No, I he, thought he got in, like, some trouble, legally.
3: He just claimed that Vince molested him. Oh! He was upset over his payoff for this pay-per-view and I think the one he did with Boss Man and ended up suing the company saying that Vince fondled him or something. It was really really strange. Yeah, and then he shows up in WCW as the prisoner. Because he can't be Nails anymore. So there you go. That's that's Nails. They were actually setting him up for a program with Taker down the road. Even though he's shit. But he's he's big. So you... He's
4: big. He is big. But yeah, I'm with you. He is shit.
3: Nails just chokes Virgil. No sells a clothesline and a dropkick from Virgil. He goes back to his blatant chokes and then sends Virgil to the floor. Nails puts Virgil in the sleeper, which... Nails then sells by flinging his head back and forth. So that was how to get his finisher over as Virgil passes out in the sleeper, which Bobby and Vince were both convinced was an illegal choke. But whatever. Nails gets the win as it Virgil, was a choke. Uh, and Virgil bites the dust here in his uh, barbershop looking pants or whatever these things were, the, the red and white striped pants. I hated Virgil's look here, but it was a choke. Yep, Nails then gets the boss man's nightstick and hits Virgil in the gut and then chokes him with it. And since he's a convict, he has no theme song. So he celebrates in silence, and 80,000 people are silent. So uh, Nails I, not getting over. I could have
4: done without this match.
3: Yes, there's a couple matches on this show I definitely would have just said, eh, just cut them. There's There's no point of this. Lord Al wants to go to Macho Man's dressing room, but the door is locked and he says, well, I guess I'm going to keep looking for Mr. Perfect because I can't get in here.
6: I have been investigating the whereabouts of Mr. Perfect since he arrived on the scene with Ric Flair. I cannot confirm the rumors that he is actually inside the Macho Man's dressing room. I can confirm, however, that this door has been locked for some time and nobody is answering. However, undaunted, I shall continue this investigation for the whereabouts of Mr. Perfect. In the meantime, over to you, Mean Gene.
3: Sensational Sherry is with Mean Gene. You see, Shawn Michaels interfered in a Rick Martel match. So then Martel responded, interfered in one of his matches, but got the eye of Sherry and winked at her. Uh-oh. And she winked back. So you know they're in love. Well, uh, it's getting real now. So, then one time when Martel was wrestling a match, Sherry came out and gave him a nod. Uh-oh. So they are they're like on third base already, Uh-oh. I think. So this is a fight over Sherry, a rare heel versus heel matchup here, which uh is something we don't see very often even in today's WWE. You know, You throw a woman in the mix between two men, there's always gonna be a fight. Sherry loves both men, and so she makes the stipulation that neither men can hit each other in the face, which I thought was awesome for both of their gimmicks. She
4: loves their she loves their face. Yeah. Yeah.
3: They're both pretty boys. That's their whole they have almost the same gimmick. So uh, I love that. Sherry says she's gonna stand by her man, but who will her man be? We'll have to find out.
5: All right, next up here at SummerSlam, Rick the Model Martell squares off against Shawn Michaels' one-on-one. With me at this time, my special guest is frequent companion of Shawn Michaels, Sensational Sherry. Sherry, you look ravishing tonight for SummerSlam. You know, I vividly recall how this entire thing all began some time ago. It happened when Shawn Michaels ended up at ringside at a big match for Rick the Model Martell. Rick Martell was meeting Brett the Hitman Hart, a very rare opportunity for him to become Intercontinental Champion when all of a sudden, Michaels interferes, and guess what happens? Rick, the model Martell, gets disqualified. If that were not enough, a guest appearance ringside by a very arrogant model, Rick Martell. As he observes the action, you look at him... He looks at the action, and he looks at you. And I couldn't help detect, Sherry, that the model very affectionately gave you a wink. I think you were a little alarmed initially, but later on, our cameras were fortunate enough to pick up. Yes, I believe you you were winking back at the model. And then, sensational Sherry. Goodness sakes alive, I couldn't believe it. When Rick, the model Martel was in action in the center of the ring. You arrive with that beautiful, flowing designer dress. I don't know if you were measuring him up, or if this was just a diversionary tactic. But nonetheless, sensational Sherry, we are moments away from the big match in front of the capacity crowd here at Wembley Stadium. And I've got to ask you, Quite frankly, you were the one responsible for the special stipulations. You insisted that neither man would hit each other in the face.
2: That's right, mean Jean, and you know sensational Sherry always gets what she wants. Both men are extremely handsome. Both men possess the most exquisite features, and speaking on the uh, side of the softer sex, if you know what I mean, I see no reason why either one should hurt themselves. Therefore, both men have agreed not to hit each other in the face.
5: Okay, enough. Sherry, just exactly where do you stand for tonight's matchup?
2: I stand just like any other good woman, Mean Jean. I'm going to stand right by my man. Sherry, let's go. Yes, Sean. On her way, sensational
5: Sherry. Let's get back to ringside.
3: Rick Martell is in the ring. He gets the job or entrance, too. Awaiting Shawn Michaels, Martell is in tennis gear, despite Wembley being a soccer stadium. So I think Martell was a bit confused about what sport this stadium was actually used for. Well, I mean... You do have the uh, tennis tournament over there every year. Well, they have Wimbledon. Yeah, they mentioned Wimbledon, but Wimbledon doesn't take place in that stadium. So I just think listen,
4: that... the dude's not going to come out in a pair of soccer shorts and a soccer. He jersey. should have. He should have
3: absolutely. Sean is out next to the Sherry version of Sexy Boy, and he's out with Sherry, and she has to carry a massive fucking mirror for this guy. This is a wall mirror. <laughs> and I hope that it's gimmicked in that it's light, at least. I hope that it's like on cardboard or something, because this would suck to carry yeah. uh, all the way out there. Sean Michaels' style watch for this week. He's got a white chain vest, earrings, his little sunglasses, though not the rounded ones we would most know him for. White gloves, white chaps over red and white trunks, but the, the worst part of his whole ensemble was that he wore black knee pads over all of this, which I thought really, really threw the look off. Not that he ever looked great, but that's Sean style watch for this week. Sherry's style watch, though, groundbreaking here in the WWF. Yes. And she wore a thong,
2: which
3: a ch- Vince was very distracted by. A thong and chaps. Vince says, There's a part of her outfit that's missing. <laughs> so Sherry, very uh, attitude before attitude. I know, very suggestively here to start the match. She gets on her knees and takes Sean's chaps off. So, oh, yeah, takes
4: the buckle and unbuckles. Yeah, very, the, the, very weird. Was, yeah. yeah.
3: Hi, kids. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Very inappropriate.
3: Martell dodges Sean's offense and does jumping jacks to intimidate him. Like, hey, man, look here. I'm just going to do some jumping jacks. Martell misses a cross off the second rope and hits his own face against the mat. There's no rule against hitting your own face. Wristlock exchanges. Both men kip up before Sean gets flung out of the ring. The model says, fuck this match. I'm going to go flirt with Sherry as she was checking on Sean. Martell hugs Sherry and then goes to work on Sean. Martell back body drops Sean, does some more jumping jacks. They exchange roll-ups with each of them pulling their tights and showing their asses, a a move that Shawn Michaels loved to do. It it can't be a Shawn Michaels match unless his ass is shown to the crowd. A super kick to Martell gets a two-count, as it wasn't Shawn's finisher here in 1992. Sean tries a dirty pin, but gets caught by the ref. Both men, John, Martell smacks HBK, and HBK smacks him back. So the stipulation has been broken. The faces have been touched, Patrick.
4: Well, I think I think a smack, I, is it punch? Or would you allow a smack?
3: I don't know. The, we're very fuzzy on the rules here. That's well, true. It would get totally thrown out here. But Sherry's just distraught that the men have hit each other in the face. Yes. And she faints because people are punching in a wrestling match. Martel then gives a living woman CPR, which is not good. Uh that is uh highly not recommended for people who are alive is to give them CPR. Uh that so Why why is that, Alex? You can really mess things up. You can break their ribs, you can do you can't other the Other sorts ribs. of damage. Unless they are in peril of dying, which she just fainted from seeing them punch each other in the face. Uh, you shouldn't give someone CPR. He didn't give mouth-to-mouth, though, which, by the they don't teach that anymore anyway. Sean Dex Martell in the face over this CPR. Hey, how dare you try to save my manager's life? And the ref counts both men out. One to ten. And they brawl down the aisleway.
4: Sherry then... That's about as quick as the count really was, was 1, 2, 10. All through tonight, on any count out, <laughs> was
3: 1, 2, 10. Whoops, you're counted out. <laughs> that shit was quick. Sherry then wakes up. Turns out she was faking it this whole time. She sees what's happening and then just fakes passing out again. The Stooges break up Martel and Sean and actually take Martel to the back. Sean comes back to Sherry and takes her to the back over his shoulder, and the camera's very specific to avoid shooting them from the front because we would see Sherry's butt right in our face. Martell says, fuck this. He comes back out, knocks Sean in the face, who drops Sherry, just flat out just drops her like a bag of potatoes. Then Martell carries Sherry to the back. He's going to take Sherry home for the night. Sean stops it, nails Martell from the back, who just drops Sherry again. So Sherry is just being ragdolled here. The goons finally take Martell away again, and Sean carries Sherry once more. Martell then returns with a bucket of water and dumps it on Sherry. I guess he's given up on his crush of all of three weeks, and she wakes up and is distraught. And Michaels drops her again for the fourth or fifth time. This woman has just been dropped with no warning, and then he goes chasing after Martell. So... A very fun match, I think. Yes. Uh, very uh, storyline-driven. Not a very technically impressive match, but I do love Sherry uh, and her theatrics, and she always brought a lot to matches that she was involved with and wrestlers that she managed. She managed a, a ton of Hall of Famers. I mean, she is
4: Macho one Macho King, the, Shawn Michaels, Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase,
3: Harlem Heat. Yeah, Harlem Heat is Sister Sherry, so... Uh, Sherry had a very, very good career and yes. um, is greatly missed, I think, in
4: progress. I, I truly agree.
3: Sean Mooney is with the Nasty Boys, who, why are they here? Well, you don't know why they're here, because they had a dark match. <laughs> so they're just here, hanging out with Jimmy Hart, who's also managing Money, Inc. So Jimmy Hart doing double duty. The Nasties have a laugh at Sherry and make make comparisons to the Wicked Witch of the West. And they tell Jimmy they want a title shot. And Jimmy says, but what about Money, Inc.? And then he says, okay, you'll get a title shot. And uh, that's the end of that. This would eventually lead to the nasties turning face as Jimmy would side with Money, Inc. Got to go with the money. The, the gong of doom goes off in my head anytime I see the Beverly Brothers come out. They're here to take on the natural disasters. And they have the genius with them, which I was looking forward to hearing the genius's poem But then his poem sucked. Sorry. It did. The Natural Disasters are out next. They get a decent reaction. They are the tag team champions, Earthquake and Typhoon, better known as Uncle Fred, better known...
4: Shockmaster.
3: Yeah. Earthquake, Uncle Fred, Fred Ottman, the Shockmaster, Earthquake and Typhoon, the Natural Disasters, which I do think is an awesome name for a tag team and for two big fat guys.
4: What was the... uh what was he in the Oddities? I forgot his name. Oh, that was uh, that was John Tenta. John Tenta. Yeah, I thought uh, we were talking about both of them.
3: Oh, John Tenta was Golga. Golga. Oh, he also had some other good gimmicks. He was the
4: Shark. Shark. Golga.
3: Here's all of John Tenta's gimmick names. He was Avalanche. That's the one I was trying to think of. He yes. was the Canadian Earthquake. He was Earthquake. He was Earthquake Evans. He was the Gargoyle. He was Golga, he was Koto Tinta, that's of course when he was in sumo, and he was Koto Tenzan when he was in sumo, and he was the shark. And then he, at one point he was just John Tinta when he had cut his infamous promo on WCW saying, I'm a man, not a shark, which I don't think needed to be explained, but okay.
4: So a lot of people don't realize that he actually was a, a real sumo wrestler.
3: He was, and he actually beat Yokozuna in a sumo match on Raw. He did. He refused to do the job because he wasn't going to let his sumo cred get ruined with this fake sumo star, so uh, interesting note there, but uh, yeah, he was, I think he was a really talented wrestler, too. He was.
4: Very, very talented and very underrated.
3: Yeah, a guy that, that unfortunately suffered from, when you have a feud with Hogan, you go back down the card and you're you're never coming back up. And that's what happened with John Tenta. Uh, the Beverly's jump them at the bell, but they get run over by the disasters. The disasters run their massive bellies into the Beverly's to squash them. Typhoon slams Blake, but misses a leg drop. Blake tries to slam, but Typhoon's weight crushes him and he gets a near fall before Bo makes a save. Quake misses a stinger splash to Blake and smashes Typhoon instead. The Beverly's get the heat on Typhoon for a while here including choking him with the tag rope. Mike Enos keeps Typhoon in the front chancery. He gets attacked to Earthquake, but the ref misses it again, so Typhoon just keeps getting his ass stomped by the Beverlies. But good for Typhoon here. He spent most of it just laying on his back getting stomped, so he got to rest for most of this match. Typhoon hits a desperation double clothesline to temporarily stop the beating. Typhoon lifts Mike Enos for a slam, and the other Beverly Drop kicks him onto Typhoon, and they get a near fall out of it. Bo distracts Earthquake, so Typhoon can't get the tag again. The Genius hands his metal scroll to Blake, and he decks Typhoon, but Earthquake breaks up the count. Earthquake finally gets the hot tag, belly-to-belly to, belly to Bo. Earthquake then hits the stinger splash to Bo, power slams him, and then hits the big whoopsie and wins the match as Quake got all the shine here, and Typhoon, Fred Ottman was just... Uh, Spent the match on his ass. And um, I love the Natural Disasters, but I, I dislike the Beverly Brothers so much. I just cringe anytime time I see them. I just, I, I can't help it. I'm sorry. I,
4: uh, yeah, I would much have rather seen nasty, nasty boys against Natural Disasters or anybody, something else. Yeah. The Natural Disasters
3: dump Genius out of the ring after the match, just to add insult to injury. The Kiwis, the Bushwhackers, why are they here? We don't know. But they're here with me and Gene, and they've been invited to dinner with the royal family. Whatever. This is actually my favorite segment of the night backstage, when Lord Alfred Hayes goes looking for Mr. Perfect. He goes to Ultimate Warrior's dressing room this time, and he says he's going to breach his personal code of ethics and open the door And surprise them. Here we go. And he breaks and enters into Warrior's room. But gets the door slammed in his face. And then has the audacity to call that a... How rude. What an egregious act of rudeness that was. Yeah, like...
6: My exhaustive search to locate the whereabouts of Mr. Perfect has come to an end. I have reason to believe that Mr. Perfect is inside the Ultimate Warrior's dressing room. Now, I'm going to breach my own code of ethics. I'm not going to knock on the door. I'm just going to open it and surprise them. Well, I must say... Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Mr. Perfect is inside that dressing room But it certainly was a shocking and vulgar act of rudeness. And now, back to the ringside. So,
3: yeah, he's the one breaking and entering, but they're rude for closing the door on him. Okay. True. Up next, Demolition explodes as it's Repo Man versus Kona Crush. So we've got Crush versus Smash, right? Smash and Crush. He wasn't Axe, right? Axe
4: was the other guy. Yeah, he wasn't Axe.
3: Yeah, so Demolition explodes and Kona Crush comes out with the best mullet of the night. You can't say he was the best wrestler on the night, but he, by God, had the best mullet. There was no denying it. Crush press slams Repo, belly to belly's Repo, climbs to the top, misses a knee drop. Crush just no-sells all of Repo's offense, which wasn't much. Repo does manage to poke Crush in the eye, which is the only thing Crush is selling for Repo Man. He catches Repo coming off the top rope with a power slam and then unveils his finisher, the devastating head crush, which is me just putting my hands to the side of your head and I'm apparently going to crush your skull and you just scream out in agony. And that's what Repo Man did as he lost the match here. But just like the claw... People liked it. I'm not going to shit on it because people liked it. It looks stupid. Uh, It's one of the dumbest looking finishers I've ever seen, but if people like it, whatever. And I don't really want Crush doing anything more dangerous than that. You know, I mean, sorry Brian Adams, but uh, his uh, abilities in the ring were never he was never top notch. He was a solid hand, but I wouldn't trust him to deliver a devastating finisher to you. That's true.
4: Yeah, Brian so. Adams is no longer here.
3: That's true. The body count, unfortunately, on this show is very, very high. Vince mentions that Crush uses Ico Pro, and we know that's true because he got arrested for steroids just a few years later. <laughs> mean Gene plugs the main event, and he tosses to a recap of the feud between the future Mega Maniacs, these guys that would be a team in just a few months. They've got big problems with one another. Basically, in this face-versus-face matchup, they want you to believe one of them's going to turn heel. So, Perfect would jump Warrior one week, he'd jump Macho Man the next, whatever. They call this the main event, which in the U.S., that's how it was promoted. And it's become dusk at Wembley Stadium, so the sky looks beautiful. Vince asked Bobby who hired Perfect, and once again, he just says, uh, uh, Macho. I mean, uh, Warrior. Uh, I I don't know. Warrior is out first in his singlet, his uh, I'm off the gas singlet. And then Macho Man comes out and gets a huge reaction as well. He's in pink and yellow, also in a full body suit. He's
4: he's off the gas.
3: They're both off the gas. But,
4: But he has sprayed on like this Hercules abs ripped like on this singlet. He spray painted
3: like... He airbrushed like raw muscle tissue over it. That's what it looked like to me. It yeah. looked like what would be underneath your skin if you had all these muscles. So yeah, they square off and try to get the crowd behind each one of them. They each try to, you know, do the Hogan thing, basically call for the crowd to cheer for them. And man, Wembley is fucking loud for this stare down. They were into this match. Warrior says, it's all about respect. R-E-S-P-C-T. He misspells respect as he talks to Macho Man. They have the Code of Honor before the match. They shake hands, but then Warrior just pie-faces Macho, so here we go. The crowd is chanting for both guys, so I heard Warrior cheers a little louder, so I do think the crowd had a favorite. Macho clotheslines Warrior from behind for a one-count. Warrior responds with an atomic drop, an inverted atomic drop, which... Vince McMahon, owner of WWF, calls an inverted atomic drop a reverse pile driver. Now, I can't imagine what a reverse pile driver would actually be. That would just be standing up, wouldn't it? I would think so. That's not a reverse pile driver. Shoulder blocks from Warrior keep Macho Man down. Warrior throws Macho corner to corner, throws some decent-looking kicks to Macho while he's there. He uses the singlet of Warrior, though, to throw him into the buckle. Sort of a heelish move by Macho Man. Macho clotheslines Warrior over the ropes, and Macho goes out to get him. He drops the axe handle that Warrior, of course, no-sells. But another one puts him down for a two-count. Macho tries another axe handle smash, but Warrior catches him, delivers a backbreaker for a two-count. Warrior slaps on a bear hug before dropping Macho Man for a two-count. Then... Macho Small Packages Warrior almost gets the win. But then Macho Man, oh, my back. Oh, he can't do shit because his back's hurt. And Warrior focuses in on it. Warrior then starts selling his neck. But a guy with a hurt neck, what does he do? A vertical suplex to Macho Man for a near fall. And that would be the only selling of the neck that Warrior attempted to do. Warrior ends up out on the floor, and Macho Man nails him with an axe handle smash off the apron. He throws Warrior into the steps and then very gently into the ring post. Finally, several minutes into this match, we get the payoff that we were all waiting for. As Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair walk to the ring, and when I say walk to the ring, the blue carpet was about a mile long, <laughs> and they were in no hurry to get down here to accomplish their mission. Right. And the camera, you could see that it was a long fucking walk. Macho Man gets scoop slammed by Warrior. He misses his warrior splash as Macho Man gets his knees up. Both men clothesline each other. Warrior, though, eventually crawls over for a pinfall attempt. Then Perfect finally interferes. He trips Macho Man. Uh Uh-oh. Vince believes that Warrior, he's sold out. He's sold out. Earl takes a bump. We get a scoop slam to Macho Man, and Warrior actually climbs the buckle, and I was very, very worried. But he hit an axe handle. He, He made it work. Earl stumbles over and gets a two count on Macho Man. Warrior then complains to Earl like a little bitch. Then Macho Man knees Warrior who goes flying into Earl. Macho Man hits a pile driver on Warrior. Perfect then helps Warrior up and lets Ric Flair nail him with some nooks. So nobody knows whose side Mr. Perfect is on. Macho Man hits his signature elbow drop to Warrior, but Earl is still dazed and Warrior kicks out at two. Flair grabs the chair and walks around as the Warrior hulks up. We get a leaping shoulder block from Warrior and then he calls for the press slam. He delivers it, goes for the Warrior splash, but Flair just hits him in the back with a chair. Macho Man sees what has happened. Perfect starts jawing with Macho Man and grabs his foot. Savage could drop the elbow and win the match or jump and attack Ric Flair who just hurt Warrior. What would he do? I tell you what I'd do. I'd drop the elbow and win the fucking match. Exactly. Uh, but he does the right thing in quotation marks and jumps towards Flair, who promptly hits him in the knee with a chair. One, two, ten, count out as Macho Man can't make it back to the ring. And Flair and Perfect just put the boots to Macho Man as Warrior is groggy. He eventually stumbles over as Flair and Perfect want to break Macho Man's legs. Warrior grabs the chair away from Flair and runs the heels away and chucks the chair in their direction, which was quite dangerous because that could have gone into the crowd. And uh, also, even if it did, there's no way to stop a chair that's flying at you. There's no way to prepare for a chair that's just swinging around in a circle. (laughs) Um, But then he also remembered he needed the chair, so he had to go and get it again. Warrior grabs the world title, he helps Macho Man up, and Bobby yells, Clothesline him! Clothesline him! Warrior, though, helps Macho Man to the back. Oh, how romantic. These two guys are, are, are in love now. Flair and Mr. Perfect are with Mean Gene. Gene is pissed off that there was no deal. Hey, one of you were supposed to turn one of these guys heel. Drop. Flair explains that he wanted to try and get them so mad that whoever won would challenge him so that he got a title shot, which... Makes, Makes sense. sense, yeah.
5: All right, this was the SummerSlam you thought you'd never see. And there was an incident out there tonight that I thought I would... What the hell were you trying you to... You just first? be There was no deal. Man.
0: There was a deal, There was right. not a deal. It was a done deal between Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect. A lot of people might think the other deal didn't go down. Not a chance. That was plan A. And now, plan B, little man, divot head, is in full charge. Plan B, champ, tell him the way it is. Oh, come on, this has got to be a I biggest... should have had the God, shot God, to God. begin with! Not the ultimate warrior, but now you ask the warrior what he wants in life. Well, it's gotta be me, and baby, I'm waiting on you. Plan A, maybe that slid by. But now, we're looking at Plan B. And maybe the way I see it, the two most perfect men alive today are this gentleman and myself. You too, man. This is an absolute champ of the World Wrestling, in my, Wrestling Federation. In my bow tie straight champ. You Get are out here. killer, is the You are killer. In closing, let me tell the whole world, and especially one man something, savage. That belt is coming back to me. Don't me, about Plan B. Woo! Don't tell in about
5: plan. plan Plan B. Woo! I'm telling you, there is so much you. to are out of luck. Let's Woo! get back to ringside. Woo!
3: And he would challenge Macho Man in a couple weeks and beat him for the world title. So, mission accomplished. Harvey Whippleman is out next to introduce Kamala with kimchi. And he says, oh, regrettably, From the dark continent of Africa. Kamala.
4: Well, why is that regrettably?
3: What do you think that means, Patrick? What's dark about Africa?
4: Oh, gotcha. Yeah. That's a horrible joke.
3: It's not a joke. That's what the guy said.
4: But I mean, I think that's like, what they I th- meant. I think that someone specifically in the back was like, "Hey, make sure you say this because it's funny."
3: Oh yeah, I don't think Whippleman ad-libbed that. But no. that's it's an awful way to introduce Kamala. Gong, and thank goodness! Oh, thank goodness! Undertaker gets a ride to the ring. You
4: didn't announce your uh, your
3: buddy there as Kimchi. All oh, right, Kimchi, Brooklyn Brawler. The gong goes off and the British hearse is out to bring out the Undertaker. And thank goodness he got a ride because that thing was so long, as slow as the Undertaker walks, we'd still be waiting today <laughs> for the Undertaker to make it to the ring I was at surprised SummerSlam that 92. Ultimate
4: Warrior, I was surprised that Ultimate Warrior wasn't blown up blown after up he ran the whole way. He ran the damn thing. Because that was a long, long entryway. That made WrestleMania 17 entryway look small. What's
3: funny, though, is that they made Paul Bear, the fat guy, walk Walk. in front of the hearse with the urn. So I thought that was kind of a rib on Percy Pringle here. Taker chokes Kamala, goes old school, or I guess this would be primary school on Kamala. Whipple gets Taker distracted, and Taker tumbles off the ropes. A rare big bump from 90s Undertaker actually bumping for Kamala here. Taker choke slams Kamala, but he doesn't cover him. He hits his leaping lariat, and then Kimchi decides, "Uh oh, my guy's getting his ass kicked. I need to, I need to get this match DQ'd, thrown out. What do I have around me? Uh, uh, hat. A hat caused a DQ. That vicious hat shot, uh, and the Undertaker escapes with a win here. In a match that was cool for the Undertaker's entrance, and that's about it. In between this match and the main event was a match we didn't get to see. Tatanka defeated the Berserker in 546. So, sorry to all the fans out there that wanted to see the Berserker. But instead of that, we got a beatdown from Kamala. So, after the vicious hat shot, Kamala scoop slams Taker and splashes him after the bell. Hits a splash off the second rope. Bear raises the urn, but Taker doesn't do anything yet. He gets a Kamala splash from the top buckle. Then Taker finally does his sit-up spot, and Kamala's face, he has wonderful facials, The uh, Kamala does, as he just looks terrified and runs away and slips, <laughs> slips as he runs away, which was funny, uh, runs away from Undertaker. Sean Mooney is with the British Bulldog. Bulldog has waited two years for this chance. He says, Brett, tonight, when we step into the ring, I don't know you. And I just hope the families reunite when all this is over.
1: Well, I'm facing a lot of pressures in the family, Sean. But I didn't make this match. Jack Tunney made this match. But the British Bulldog has fought hard for two long years to be the number one contender for the Intercontinental Belt. Yes, Brett, you are the Intercontinental Champion. Yes, Brett, you are my brother in law. But when I step in the ring with you, Brett, I never met you. I don't even know you. But at the end of the match, I just hope the families reunite.
5: British Bulldog, that brings me to my second point, one that may even bring even more pressure on you. The fact that you will be stepping out into that stadium in front of 80,000 of your fellow countrymen.
1: Sean, (laughs) that isn't a pressure. That's a dream for the British Bulldog. And my second dream is, at the end of the match, the British Bulldog will be... The next World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion. Let's go over to Mean Gene.
3: Mean Gene is with Bret Hart. Bret cuts a good promo about introducing Davey to his sister. And he wouldn't be where he is, Bulldog, without Bret Hart. And he says his dream of becoming Intercontinental Champion will turn into a nightmare. And Bulldog will wake up in the dungeon. Of Windsor Castle.
5: Well, I've got to agree with my broadcast colleague Sean Mooney. Indeed, there is a great deal of pressure for this Intercontinental title bout. However, the pressure for the champion, you brett the hitman heart, much different than the pressure on the challenger, the British Bulldog. For him to win this coveted title, he must either make you submit or get the pinfall. One, two, three, in the center of the ring. And then, of course, there's the question of the family pressure. Let me tell you
7: something, Gene. As far as family pressure goes, I've proven that I work real well under pressure. But you know something that really bugs me, that really irks me, is the British Bulldog actually has the gall to come out here and say that when he steps in the ring with me, that he's never met me, that he doesn't know me. Well, let me tell you something, British Bulldog. Take a good look at my face and look me in the eye and tell me, you don't know me. Do you remember that far back, British Bulldog, when I was the one that introduced you to my sister Diana in the first place? And as far as your career in the World Wrestling Federation, I'm the one that helped you the most. You wouldn't be where you are in the World Wrestling Federation if it wasn't for me. Talk about gratitude. You know, the British Bulldog forgets he's the one that wanted to challenge me. He's the one responsible for all the family tension. He's the one that wanted a shot at the gold. Well, you know something? The British Bulldog, he wanted the big fight, he's got the big fight! And as far as his big dream, you know what I think of his big dream? This big dream of his of of winning the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental title in front of 80,000 of his compatriots. Well, you know, I think this big dream of his is going to turn into a nightmare. And in tomorrow morning when he wakes up, he's going to think he woke up in the dungeon. A Windsor Castle.
3: A very odd segment is next is a bagpipe band plays and then they get joined by Roddy Piper who had left the company and just came back to play some bagpipes. Okay. I guess they just wanted to represent Scotland here for a second but I mean, it was fun. The crowd loved it but like they even show a sign that says bring back Roddy Piper so would have been nice to uh, I don't know have him wrestle. Okay. Okay. Sean Mooney is with Diana Smith, Diana Hart-Smith. She sounds nervous. Uh, she's legit nervous because Davey, as I had mentioned before on previous podcasts, had been out smoking crack a few days before and uh, was not in a very good state of mind and was, I think she was genuinely worried about his health and safety going into this match. You could tell throughout this match that, that Brett had to basically read the the entire... Rundown to Davey multiple times throughout the match. Like, Davey didn't remember anything that they were supposed to do. And so Brett would put him in chin locks and read him the riot act. And thankfully, they made it work. They made it into a pretty good match.
4: Oh, it's Brett, uh, in my opinion, it's uh, Bulldog's best match.
3: Without a doubt, it's Bulldog's best match. The British Bulldog is out first. Oh, By the way, Diana says the Intercontinental belt could not replace the bond shared by her family. I think that's a pretty obvious statement. Uh, Do you think a title belt can replace your whole family, Patrick?
4: Well, I mean, for me personally, yeah. (laughs) Okay, up next. The the title means everything.
3: Bulldog is out first to, of course, a massive reaction. I sell out like crazy. He's led by Canadian Lennox Lewis, carrying the British flag, so we have another defector here. Davey looks so fucking nervous walking out here. He, he really just does. looks like, oh my god, all these people are counting on me to have a fucking kick-ass match. Yeah. I am the only British wrestler He literally. <laughs> on the roster. He
4: looks like as he is walking, he is slightly shitting himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, he literally does. And I mean, look, I know the
3: pressure of being in, like, a venue that big alone is bad enough. But add on top of it that you are the countrymen. You are... You are there.
4: You, the, you're you the reason they came. You are there for them. You are the end-all, be-all, if-you-don't-win-we-riot type person.
3: Yeah, not only that, but he's he's been... Fucked up the last few days, and he's like, "Holy shit! I hope Brett is on his A game because if I deliver a stinker, it, it it'll, he'll never live it down. I mean, never. This, this, this could have been really bad." Then the hitman comes out and actually gets a good reaction, even though he's not the British Bulldog. Brett kisses the belt and gives the glasses to a fan who, in ECW one night stand fashion, I wish had thrown them back but he gave it to a guy with a hitman shirt so or a kid with a hitman shirt
4: well brett was making sure that it went to a proper fan and not just somebody that was going to throw it back yeah
3: the place is fucking so loud for this matchup this is like the stare down between rock and hogan at wrestlemania oh it's
4: it's hogan austin or i mean hogan and uh andre
3: They shove each other and stare each other down. Davey knocks Brett out of the ring and has to fumble with his hair braids, which makes Bobby say, I wonder why he lets Whoopi Goldberg do his hair. (laughs) Brett tries a few quick pin attempts before putting Davey in the chin lock. Davey escapes a wrist lock with a somersault, but he catches Brett coming off the ropes and catapults him into the corner. Davey tries a crucifix that gets a two count. The place gets so loud when Davey gets in control for a minute. He keeps Brett in a wrist lock. So that Brett can repeat instructions to him. So Davey is even putting rest holds on. So, hey, tell me what to do. What are we supposed to do next? Please tell me. Brett hits Davey with a knee lift that, man, his selling, because he wasn't remembering what was supposed to happen, he was legit getting his ass kicked at points in this match because the knee lift that Brett hits him with, man, Davey just runs full fucking force into it. Oh, yeah. And then Brett takes back over control. Brett puts Davy in a chin lock, which Davy escapes, but he hits a back elbow and an inverted atomic drop, which Vince calls once again a reverse pile driver. It's not. The hitman hits a Samoan drop for a two count. Bulldog leapfrogs Brett, catapults him with his feet to get back into control. He charges Brett in the corner and Brett kicks the shit out of Bulldog's head another time where he was running full blast. Oh, Am I supposed to get booted in the face here? I don't know. I'll just run full blast. Oh, fuck. Like, just (laughs) nailed him with his foot. Then, Bret Hart, of course, you have to do this in a match with a guy named Bulldog. He bulldogs the Bulldog. Bret then climbs to the top rope but gets slammed off like Ric Flair. Bulldog misses a flying headbutt and Bret rolls out of the way. A shitty flying headbutt, by the way. Dynamite Kid would have... I've uh, been shaking his head in shame here at his old teammate trying the flying headbutt. Bulldog tries to send Brett into the ropes, but Brett drops down and Bulldog goes flying out of the ring. And then in the spot of the match, in one of the most innovative uh, fuck-ups that turned out to be awesome move, Brett tries a pescado. He jumps over the ropes. Bulldog totally forgot he needed to catch Brett. So in order to save his life, Brett wraps his hands around Bulldog's necks and delivers one of the coolest accidentally ever-happening neck breakers ever. Like, yeah. It was awesome. like, um, But it was totally by mistake. It was yes. totally by chance. Yes, Brett gets Bulldog into the ring and hits a Russian leg sweep for a two-count. Brett delivers European uppercuts. How dare you, sir? You're from Canada. Uh, to Bulldog, followed by a drop kick. A back body drop that Davey just, man, he couldn't even land. Uh, he couldn't even take a back bo- from a back body drop. He just landed awkwardly. Brett goes back to a chin lock, delivers a snap suplex for a two. Davey tries a backslide for a two. They throw up a picture-in-picture with Diana, who is on the verge of tears because she is just so nervous. Brett nails his signature backbreaker and second rope elbow.
4: She's nervous because she knows he is fucked up. Yeah, well, he
3: was he was always a guy that gassed out real early anyway, but you add on all the other problems, yeah. and yeah, yeah, she was definitely scared. Uh, Brett hits his signature backbreaker and second rope elbow. He throws Bulldog down by his dread, so a subtle heel here, uh, Brett Hart playing in, in uh, the United Kingdom. Brett slaps on a sleeper, but Bulldog crawls to the ropes. Brett leaves it in for the whole five count. Some more heelish Brett Hart stuff here. Stomps Bulldog in the face, slaps on the sleeper again. Bulldog escapes by ramming Brett into the buckles. They get into a slugfest, and Bulldog press slam drops Brett But he drops him right into the second rope, which looked like it sucked. It sucked ass. And uh, then he eats a couple of clotheslines from Bulldog. Bulldog hits another press slam. Again, this time this is totally safe. Even Bobby Heenan, who only cheers for heels, says, What a match. I don't care who wins, but what a match. Bulldog hits a long-delayed vertical suplex to Brett for a near fall. Bulldog calls for the power slam, and the crowd goes nuts. He hits it, but Brett kicks out at two. And Davey is just beside himself at this. And then he pie-faces Brett out of the ring. Brett comes in and hits a German suplex with a bridge for a two-count. Brett gets posted in the corner. Brett gets superplexed for another two-count. The crowd, by the way, bit on every single pinfall attempt. They thought everything was the end of the match. A double clothesline takes both men down. And then another awesome spot in the match. Brett applies the sharpshooter while both men are on their back, which is my favorite application of the sharpshooter. Not the best-looking one he ever did. That was against Mr. Perfect, but to be able to tie up his legs on the ground like that, and Brett talks about it in an interview where he actually practiced this with his wife at home so he would get it right. Bulldog screams no and makes it to the ropes. Brett decks Bulldog. He tries a sunset flip. And Bulldog just sits down. One, two, three, a shocking finish, and the place explodes for a sit-down from a sunset flip. So, yes. mission accomplished. Diana has tears in her eyes. Bobby says "As Davy boy is holding the belt. That's the belt, stupid. Put it on. You want it. Bulldog wants the coat of honor with Brett. Brett at first says, fuck that. I'm out of here. And then he has second thoughts. They shake hands and hug. And then they play Bulldog's theme song, which was a nice touch instead of just playing it right after the win. Yeah. And boy, what it was a powerful scene here at the end because, unfortunately, we know what happens with Bulldog and everything and just this moment, that this is the height of his career and just the amazing match that these guys put on, that, well, that, that Brett, I mean, all credit to Brett Hart. This guy's a miracle worker.
4: He is. This guy is an absolute... Tom Brady... Fucked up bulldog. I mean, he he truly is. He can put together some of the best matches of all. I time. think
3: if he had gotten in the ring with Giant Gonzalez, he could have gotten a decent match out of him. I think so. He got he got decent he got decent matches out of Diesel. He yeah. got decent matches out of everybody they put him in the ring with, and yeah, he was. I mean, this was he was destined for greatness after this. I mean, um. What an amazing match. What an amazing moment. An an emotional moment you don't get out of pro wrestling. It's so rare. And they reminded me of uh, this past year, Kofi Kingston winning the belt and bringing his kids in the ring and stuff and the journey that it took for him to get there. Like, you just don't get that a lot in wrestling.
4: And when you do, it's magical. Yeah. I mean, think about, (laughs) I'm going to put a downer on it, but think about Benoit. Man, when Benoit Oh walked, yeah, yeah. Oh, Benoit and God. Eddie at WrestleMania 20. Dude, Benoit and Eddie. They're walking out. These two had worked so hard together and they're finally walking out as champs. On and the biggest it, stage. On the biggest stage. In Madison Square and, Garden. And it was just like that was one of those emotional, heart-ripping, you know. Yeah, you can't repeat
3: you can't fake reality. Right. in that sense where right. you're rewarding guys that worked really hard. Yeah. In this case, I mean Bulldog had 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 his own problems or whatever, but you could see that that you're rewarding this guy by letting him win a belt in his home country even though it's not the WWF title, letting him headline. It's really a thank you to the fans and his family and the Hart family. This was a this was an honor for the Hart family and the the fans that are, were in the United Kingdom. Yeah. All at once. Yeah. And you just, you can't you repeat stuff like that. And so, uh, I thought this pay-per-view overall was, um, it had its moments. Uh, I thought the two main events were really good. I I wish that the Macho Man and Warrior match had a, a finish. It didn't have to be clean, but I wish that it had... A resolution because I actually thought macho man was getting a pretty good match out of warrior. Uh, yeah. probably the best work I've seen out of warrior since the Rick rude matches. And unfortunately he, he leaves the company afterwards. And so we never really get a resolution to that. And the, uh, and I mean the Bret Hart bulldog match legendary. So, um, yeah. Uh, what'd you, what are your thoughts on the pay-per-view?
4: Oh, I loved it. I think the, uh, there was a, a match or two in there that we could have skipped, but I enjoyed most of it. And it is. It has every right to be looked at as one of the greatest SummerSlams of all time. Yeah,
3: I don't think uh this year's edition is gonna come close to this one, unfortunately. Nowhere, nowhere near. Nowhere near. So on our rating scale, Hornswoggle with Giant Gonzalez, where are you putting SummerSlam nineteen ninety-two?
4: I'm gonna give it an Undertaker.
3: I'm going to give it a chains. Oh. Because yeah. a uh, really big guy. Yeah. and uh, But he did have his flaws. He and did. this show had a few flaws in it. So next week, uh, you wanted to do a Harley Race show. What Harley Race show are we doing? As next a week?
4: tribute to Harley Race, we're going to do Starcade 83, the very first Starcade, as a monument to a loss of a true friend and a true legend. Uh, we will have a tribute show to the late, great. Handsome Harley Race.
3: Yeah, so we'll get a uh, flair and Harley Race next week in the Retro Wrestling Podcast. That'll do it for this week. Head over to powerslam.tv, use the promo code Retro Wrestling and get a month for free. I'm intern Alex.
4: I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo. Well, in
2: 1992, Davey wrestled my brother Brett at SummerSlam in Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 people, and he was the main event for the Intercontinental Championship.
8: I had a huge, huge following of wrestling fans in England. And Davey, of course, being a British, uh, they they backed him all the way.
2: Well, he he never said this, but I, I can say it about Davey. He was England's most famous athlete at that time. He was a superstar over there. They had sold over 80,000 tickets in less than 11 hours and that broke the British Telecom phone record for selling more tickets faster than any other event.
8: I know everyone in the family was very really proud of Davey and they're proud of me and they're proud of where we come from. We did represent the whole family.
2: It was such a big deal to Brett and Davey and uh, they wanted a perfect match. The British Bulldog is coming to Wembley
1: Stadium and I'm not coming to Wembley Stadium to lose.
2: I remember Davey had this horrible staph infection that he got in the beginning of July. Davey did a running power slam on Mike Sharp and he felt something when his knee hit the mat, like a burn. And it turned out that it was almost like an ignition of the flesh-eating disease. And it was a staph infection and it started with a bang and we had to take him to the doctor
7: and drain, keep draining that staph infection and finally got that fluid out of there and he had a tough time getting on the plane. He was really sweating getting on that plane but I got him on that plane and uh,
2: we trained a little little stuff. He got to the show and he, it was about two months, well around two months since he had actually wrestled or done anything active and he was Really concerned that his timing was going to be off, he would blow up in the ring and lose his breath. And on top of that, the butterflies—you know—am I going to do all right?
8: You got eighty thousand English wrestling fans that are riveted to every single move. We had a oohing and awing and ooing and awing right from the very beginning. The beauty of the best wrestling that you can that you can create or imagine is wrestling that you and you take this wrestler and you take this wrestler and you put them together and you can actually, before the bell rings, when you see them standing in the ring together and you go, I don't know who's gonna win. Brad Hart's not gonna lose, no way. David Boyd Bulldog's not gonna lose, not here in England. And that's when you got this great, that's when you have the power to, that's when you've been, as an artist, you have this ability to paint this elaborate movie that can be the best movie of all time. And in a lot of ways, that was one of my greatest uh,
2: movies. It was huge. You know, we were watching it at one of the bars on um, you know, on one of the big screens, and it was, you know, probably one of the most exciting things um, that we ever saw. You know, my mom and dad were thrilled with it. That was like, I don't know, one of Davey's best moments. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was it was a masterpiece.
8: I think was the
2: greatest match in the history of wrestling, as far as I'm concerned.
8: We're in Wembley Stadium. There's 80,000 wrestling fans and British flags and people cheering for me. It was always one of those incredible, great moments that wasn't just for me and Davey, but it was the whole family.